0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest is my friend, Philip Yancey, my favorite author. Welcome, Philip Yancey. Great to have you on the program.
1: Thank you, Jay-John. I'm coming from Colorado, very different than the view you're seeing. In fact, if I just tilt my camera a little bit, you can see outdoors. There's a lake, there are trees, there are beautiful mountains out there. And this is a
0: retreat where I go to do my my intense writing. Now, how how long have you had that retreat place? Oh, my goodness. Probably
1: uh, over 20 years. I, when I'm home, in, in the old days, faxes, telephone calls, now emails, social media, just keeps me from doing what I should be doing, writing. So I have to get away, unplug, and
0: and find a place more conducive to it. Now, just tell us a bit more philip how how do you what's the rhythm for you when you go there do you go there for days or weeks I usually go about four
1: to five days in advance um and and then I come home and pick up everything that's been going on while I was gone so kind of a week on week off when I'm and, in the middle of a direct writing project
0: and then are you are you quite disciplined about a timing, Uh, what would be the rhythm of your day? I'm just very curious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you know, writing is all about mental focus. You've got to have one thing on your mind. And when I'm out here, ignoring everything else going on in the world, my brain does things that it doesn't do at home. So I will go to bed at night with a problem, not knowing how in the world I'm gonna solve this problem. And I'll wake up and know the answer. And that never happens to me at home because my my brain is being pulled in all these different directions. But if I'm working on a book, and only on a book, and I only spend a few minutes for lunch, breakfast, dinner, you know, I'm just thinking all day long about that book, it gets all of me working towards the same thing at the same
0: time. Absolutely. I, re- I remember when you were uh, you and your wife Janet were with us in our home here in Chorley Wood. I remember mm, yes. you and I had a conversation and, um, and, and I said to you something like, um, "I'm a speaker that does a little bit of writing, but you're a writer that does a little bit of speaking."
1: <laughs> well, that, I think that's very accurate. Um, mm. As you know, in the old days, publishers would sell your books for you, but now the only way people know that a book is out there is if you yeah. go out there and, and announce it and tell them. Absolutely. So I have had to learn to do the speaking, and I enjoy that because I get to, I get to hear stories from readers who have connected with my material. There's nothing more satisfying than to see the, the full circle of something that I'm working on today. Maybe two years from now, somebody will come up to me and say, let me tell you what that book meant to me. That's that's why we do it.
0: Absolutely. But, you know, you, you're so good, Philip, at telling stories. And um, mm. we had the privilege of having you come and speak at our evangelist conference. So we had 200 right. evangelists for three days, and you came and spoke each day. And as I reflect on that, I, I think you imparted to us, I think the word impartation, you know, in the sense that you 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 gave us a little bit more faith and a little bit more hope and a little bit more love i think you you have a great empathy for mm. people and that's all i've always loved that about you mm.
1: well the, those people they're the ones on the front lines they're the ones doing the work and uh, I have the privilege of writing about people who are involved in kingdom work, who are working with sexual trafficking or uh, many doctors and nurses in hospitals and and those who are in developing countries or on the front lines in Ukraine, for example, sending humanitarian aid. And and frankly, I feel kind of guilty that I'm not one of them, but I my, my gifts are not in that direction. I no. I'm not I'm not skilled in those, in those ways, but I can. from the the rear, support those people on the front lines and try to inspire and encourage them and just remind
0: them how important the work that they're doing is. Well, you're doing a great job, Philip. I interviewed you nine years ago, Mm. and um, my final question because I saw the interview yesterday. (laughs) My final question in the interview was, what's next? And you said, I really want to write a memoir. Well, you did. (laughs) You did. Where the Light Fell. Tell us first of all about the title.
1: Yes, I will. It's a quote from St. Augustine, and he said, I couldn't look at the sun directly. It was too bright, but I looked on where the light fell, and gradually those rays took me back to the sun, took me to God. And that was true, and that's really the story of my life. You know, you've had people on who, who tell about being converted from drugs or alcohol or, you know, prostitution, all sorts of things like that. And, and I was converted from the church. <laughs> I was converted from a toxic church. And one of the things I learned growing up was not everyone who claims to speak for God does so. And, and I went through a period of rejecting the church. And I know a lot of your viewers go through this. But there are many people who are wounded by the church. And I wrote this book to kind of encourage them that uh, that's not the end of the journey My story is a story of of overcoming a misrepresentation of God. When I grew up in in my church, I saw God as this kind of scowling super policeman up in the sky who was just waiting to break somebody, to squash them, to keep them from having a good time. And the things that brought me back to God, where the light fell, were were three things primarily— The beauties of nature, nature was my refuge, very dysfunctional family, noisy, full of contention. And I would go out into the woods and I would collect insects and chase butterflies and listen to birds and all that. That was my refuge. Classical music was another one. Uh, My brother was incredibly gifted musically and I had a little (laughs) training uh, in the piano. And then the last one was romantic love. And those three things softened me. And I had become hardened and cynical and agnostic. And when I experienced those, those things, I realized the church has lied to me about God. God is the author of all good things, the father of all good gifts, the Bible tells us. And, and I haven't experienced them, but I now I have through these things, nature, classical music, romantic love. I want to know the artist behind those, the creator behind those. There's a quotation that GK Chesterton used to use he said the worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank yes and, and, and that's how i felt where the light fell like augustine i couldn't i couldn't look at the sun directly i had been scorched by the sun by a bad image of what god was like and then when i experienced god's goodness and grace and mercy i wanted to get to know that god and and So I I started with where the light fell and then gradually moved back and through a remarkable conversion experience became the person I am now, a person exploring faith through my
0: writing. And I mean, I honestly, Philip, you know, we've known each other for a number of years. It was just so good um, to just read more about Mm -hmm. your life story. Uh, I think sometimes... People might read one of your books and say, oh, you know, Philip Yancey's got it all together. And yet (laughs) yet, when you tell your story, you know, like your father, he passed away uh, from polio at the age of 23. You were only one and your brother was three. Right. You know, and your mother and two boys. That must have been tough growing up. Um, The story behind that, my
1: father was the victim of the pandemic going on back then, which was polio, a very feared pandemic because it mostly affected children and thousands, tens of thousands of children in the United States were dying each year or being paralyzed permanently. My father was 23 years old, so he was not part of the the main target group of that disease. But he got it and, and couldn't move, so they put him in an iron lung. It was a charity hospital. He wasn't getting good care. And he was in there for several months. And finally, a group of Christians believed that he would be healed. So th- he was planning to be a missionary. These were people who had supported him, who had promised to pray for him and support him financially. And, and they finally, against all doctors' advice, removed him from the iron lung. And for a few days, he showed some slight signs of recovery. But then, a few days later, he died. Mm. And I lived under the shadow mm. of what that did to our family. My mother was really not equipped career-wise uh, to raise two children, to make a living. She had never written a check. She'd never driven a car. And, and she also, I'm sure, was burdened by, by guilt by uh, maybe anger at god disappointment with god she never expressed it you know her theology wouldn't let her do that but i'm sure she felt it and and she took out a lot of that upsetness that frustration on her two boys my brother yes yeah she
0: was quite severe uh, strict and yeah. and i and w- would it be correct to say that her kind of disappointment in not mm-hmm. being a missionary was mm-hmm. imposed upon you and your brother, so that there were expectations <sighs> upon you to maybe fulfil her dreams.
1: Right. Yeah. Not not just expectations, requirements.
0: Requirements. And, and
1: you know, when it when it comes in a well, kind of a sacred vow, religious ethos like that, it, it's really it, it's really punishing. There are people. I've met people whose parents were, disowned them because they became an artist rather than a doctor or a lawyer. You know, you run into that. And she had very strict ideas about how we should replace our father in Africa as a missionary. And we, neither one of us did that. Like my father, my brother went the other, other direction, uh, became addicted to a lot of different things, and is considers himself an atheist today. And I tell her, "Look, my my books get to Africa. I've been to Africa, but <laughs> it doesn't uh, it doesn't compete with what she had in mind." And, and yeah, you know, I'm sure a psychoanalyst would say she's she's projecting. You know, she's trying to live her life through you, which she was doing. And I had I learned about how God respects our freedom and lets us even turn against God. Um, because he so values human freedom yes he doesn't want a robot he wants people to love him because of who he is and humans aren't as good as god at loving <laughs> you know, we tend to love with strings attached especially parents we want we have these ideas of what our kids should be and and if they are going a different path we want to interfere we want to change we want to fix that and it's uh it's a different style than God, than God uses, frankly, Absolutely. For which I'm so
0: grateful. Now, you grew up in a church uh, that wouldn't allow African-Americans to become members. Uh, so, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just was saying a- that now, I almost <laughs> like can't believe it.
1: The deacons actually printed a card. I, I think in the book, I reproduced this card that says essentially... Uh, you're not welcome here. We know you're a troublemaker. If you want to know more about Jesus, call this number, but don't go to this church.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> and and it's astonishing as you look back on it, but this was true. They 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 kept African Americans out. It was a thriving, very missionary-oriented church, but it kept getting smaller and smaller and shriveled and finally just went out of business. And they sold their building ironically enough, to an African-American congregation, and the walls are rocking again now.
0: (laughs) Isn't that incredible? That is amazing. Uh, But just picking up on something you said earlier, Philip, um, obviously uh, the church you grew up in, the family environment, uh, was not healthy. But, and many people today are disillusioned with the church Mm. And the church has become a hindrance rather than a help. Yeah. And they often infer, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. But they give up on faith. What mm. would you say, particularly as you have experienced this and come through?
1: This comes up all the time, jay John. I'll be sitting on an airplane and if I'm really busy, somebody may say to me, oh, oh do you live in Denver? Or are you coming from another town? And and uh, what do you do? And if I'm really busy and I just don't have time to talk, I'll say, well, I'm a, a Christian writer and I write about existential uh, issues of faith. And then they say, oh, okay. And they never ask me another question. <laughs> but, but But often when i have time i'll engage in conversation what do you do i'm a christian author oh really you know i used to be in that when i was young i went to a summer camp and we went to church and i was really into that and then and then they tell me their story and it may be the way their parents were treated when they got a divorce or maybe the way a gay person was treated in their in their church or learning about science in university that conflicted with what they had heard in church and they'll tell me these stories and, and I'll laugh and say, oh, you know what? It's, it's a lot worse than that. Let me tell you my story. And they'll say, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian author. And I'll say, well, I am. I do write. I write about my exploration of faith. But it would be a bad trade to forfeit a chance to have an opportunity to relate to the Lord of the universe who created everything here because of the way some Body treated you 20 years ago or your family. You know, that's that's a bad trade. So let's separate out that church from from the reality. And uh, people are open at some level. They most most people do feel some sort of religious feeling, some sort of spiritual thirst. And and one reason I wrote this book is for people just like that. You know, don't give up on faith just because of the church or the way some of its representative. have have behaved. Now, as a journalist, we also do great things. I love to write about those things. There's a lot of beautiful work going on all over the world right now by Christians who are on the front lines, following Jesus, doing what Jesus wants them to do. But we're human beings and God gives us freedom and we muck it up. And and so my message is don't judge God by the church. Uh, they're they're quite different and, and in my own case i had a pretty toxic church that i had to i had to sort through i had to straight fix I, I had to figure out for myself these people who claim to be speaking for god sometimes they do sometimes they don't and it's got to be my own decision my own wisdom that discerns which one of these should i listen to which one of them should i follow and as a journalist, I kept going to the people I could learn from and want to be like, rather than the people I could poke fun of or, or find fault
0: with. But that's, I, that's what I love about your honesty uh, in the book, uh, Philip, mm-hmm. and how you navigated this. And, and I, I think that's uh, an encouragement to anyone that's listening that's a bit disillusioned with, as you said, a toxic church. Uh, I often say, well, have there been mistakes made in the name of medicine? Yeah, of course, there have been lots of mistakes made. And I mean, thalidomide was a mistake, you know, lots of mistakes. But we don't throw out the whole of medicine uh, because of the mistakes that are made. And in a similar way, as you said, there are many Christians who are doing incredible things around the world. Now, I... I actually think I have read most of your books. Hmm. I do. I think I've read most of your books, but my you should two, get a
1: you should get a trophy. <laughs> I should
0: get a trophy, but my two <laughs> favorite ones are these. Uh, uh, that's amazing! Uh, I think really because like. of what you say here, like allowing us into your heart, and then allowing us into your almost like almost opening the front door and letting us come into your home. Mm. But I think this book about what's so amazing about grace, um, I'd never read anything like this Mm. until I read this book. Obviously, you were prompted to write it by God. Do you think, I was thinking about this, Philip, that God, in the Bible, writing with his hand, his mm. finger, he wrote the Ten Commandments, so that's law. But then he also wrote on the wall in Daniel, that's mm-hmm. judgment. But then the Son of God wrote in the sand, and that's grace.
1: Mm. But sometimes
0: Wonderful. we overemphasise law and judgment and there's not mm-hmm. enough grace is there?
1: Yeah. and that last scene uh, well one of the things that that bothers me about that scene is that John doesn't bother to tell us what Jesus wrote <laughs> and the only time he wrote he wrote in sand so the next rainstorm windstorm that came along erased it we we don't have any actual writings of Jesus that's the only time we we have proof that he actually wrote but um, that was a scene where people expected judgment and, and they were perpetrating law. So the temple guards, the Pharisees, brought this woman who had done something wrong. She had committed adultery. She was caught in the act. And they were, they were insisting on judgment. And that was the law. But Jesus came with a different message, a message of grace saying, uh, un- unless, you, unless you are perfect, unless you've committed no sin, you have no right to judge another. I do, but I'm not going to. And and actually, J. John, you may not know this, but uh, this is the 25th anniversary of the book, What's Amazing About Grace. So I've been redoing it. Mm -hmm. I've been redoing it this year. Uh, (laughs) There are a lot of millennials out there who aren't relating to some of the stories that I tell. So, for example, we hired uh, a millennial and said, just go through and read this. And anytime there's something you don't recognize or understand, market in the margin. And so she would say things like, uh, who is Al Gore, <laughs> the vice president of the United States? But, yes. you know, that was, that's ancient history. And and she would say, why do you keep talking about Yugoslavia? So it was it, it was very easy to update. Let's talk about Ukraine instead of Yugoslavia. Let's talk yes. about current politicians. And we, I didn't change any of the inherent concepts of it, but rather just the fleshing yes. out of it. So that should come out uh, later this fall. Wonderful. Will sure be available in UK
0: too. Wonderful. Now, Philip, we live in a world uh, of miracle and mystery, and I know that the Lord preserved you from a car accident. Ooh. Remarkably. Uh, oh. He did preserve you, but recently you were diagnosed with Parkinson's. Right. What's, what's happening now? How are you?
1: At this stage, early stage, just diagnosed a few months ago, I, I'm 95% fine. Um, I, could, I could bore you with kind of irritating little manifestations that come up. I live with a sword over my head because we all know Parkinson's can be very serious, can almost lock people so they can hardly move and can, can affect your mind as well. And uh, I don't know what the future is going to be like. I'm, I'm getting good treatment, good medication and responding well to the medication. So I hope for the best, but it's a degenerative disease. It doesn't go two directions. It only goes one direction, it gets worse. It spreads. So um, I as you know, J.J. and I've written a lot about pain and suffering and yes, why these you things have. happen and what we can learn from it. And in one sense, I say, well, okay, you've written about it. Let's see if you can live out what you've written about. My wife Janet came up, uh, which came across, I guess, a, a definition of health. It goes like this. Health is the ability to adapt to life as it happens. Yes. Health is the ability to, de- to adapt to life as it happens. And there some things we can control. We can exercise. We can diet, you know, eat a good diet, um, avoid certain things that are, that are harmful. But there are some things we can't control. Nobody knows where Parkinson's comes from, what, what causes it. There's no germ identified with Parkinson's. But it's, uh, there are a million people in the United States who have it. And now I'm, I'm one of them. And uh, so, the challenge for all of us, especially as we age, is how are we going to adapt to that? And how is our faith going to adapt to that? Um, I, I've interviewed some people. Boy, I remember the story. You know the name Corey Tinbone. Oh, yes. John. Yes. And the story where she was, uh, I think, because of strokes, was paralyzed and could just lie in bed. And she would put uh, pictures of people she was praying for all around the walls and and her helpers would say, I could tell who she's praying for because I just watch her eyes light on this one person and maybe a little bit of a smile. And I know she's deeply praying for that person. And, and I've, I've seen people who go ahead with incredible uh, disabilities and yet their faith shines through and uh, our faith has to adapt and in, in ways like that. So, I'm ready. It's not easy, and, and you know it's not something that we wish upon ourselves. But we do face challenges where our faith is put to the test.
0: Well, Philip, that there, there are some plants that produce a beautiful fragrance, mm. but they only produce a beautiful fragrance when they're crushed. And Ooh. I think sometimes we don't always realize um, the aroma that the Lord is producing. And uh, I do love that Romans 8 uh, scripture, that the Lord can work it all for good, even if it's not good. Yeah. Philip, I'm so glad you didn't go to Africa. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I know some people have to go, some of us have to go, uh, but I'm glad you didn't go um, because I think God had a global reach for your ministry and um, I am one of the beneficiaries of well not only knowing you personally uh, but just being able to sit at your feet and soak in these Philip really appreciate you uh, taking the time in the middle of your writing uh, to join us on the program thank you Philip
1: Well, Chejan, you've been a friend, and I I sit at your feet, too. I get your books and and learn from you. And and thank you so much for all that you're doing, because uh, you're not only in Africa as well. You're around the world and affecting people. and, And that's, you know, there are a lot of bad things about technology. But one of the good things is that things we're doing right now can be spread across the world with viewers that we may never meet in this lifetime.
0: Wasn't that amazing? Wow. I love talking to my friend, Philip Yancey. I'm always touched deeply and stirred, and I'm sure you have been as well. Thank you for joining us on the programme. Please join us again. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask? Life is full of big questions. In his brand new book, will I be fat in heaven, and other curious questions. Jay John answers 38 questions that we ask about God, the Bible, the world, and everything in between. How can God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit be one? Why do we believe the Bible is true? Will we recognize family and friends in heaven? And life's ultimate question, does God care about me? Get your copy now at canonjayjohn.com.